So dear Heavenly Father, I, uh, we just come before you as humble, humble people, <laughs> your sons and daughters, and, and maybe there's people who, who don't know you yet. Um, but Lord, we're just, we're in awe of you. We're amazed by your goodness. Um, and Lord, we're just thankful that we can worship and that we can study your word um, because you, you're so many things, your love, your truth, your possibility, um, you're everything that we need. And, uh, and so Lord, I just pray that we would receive all that you have for us tonight. So Lord, as we just go through what you spoke through Zechariah, um, I pray that what we need to hear, we would receive and where we need to grow and equip, uh, Lord, that all, all that you have for us uh, would be done, would be started tonight, that you would plant seeds, you would develop your gifts in us. And so, Lord, we submit to you, and we, we give you praise and honor. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, I, I wanted to start with, um, first of all, just very thankful you guys are all here, because I know, I don't know if it's raining outside, but there's been a lot of rain uh, recently. And, um, you know, there was a couple weeks in last month, or last year in November and December, I couldn't physically be in church. And so uh, I had the pleasure of doing church at home. So maybe some of our friends that are doing that right now because they didn't want to brave the rain or whatnot. But we have a, a ton of people here doing that, which is great. Um, but I, I just want to tell you what my church experience was like. I, I typically, you know, will watch, you know, on, a, on my phone or with a uh, podcast or something. This time I was sitting with my TV and my whole family was gone. So it was just me and, you know, and the TV. And so I had my Christmas jammies on. I don't know if you guys have Christmas jammies, you know, where they're like really long and stuff. And then uh, I didn't comb my hair. So I'm just confessing, right? I don't, I don't think I put on deodorant or any of that stuff. But um, when we were worshiping, you know, I, I, I do what I normally do. I was singing off key and I was clapping off beef, you know, clapping off beat. So, um, but the cool thing is nobody could pay attention. But I did notice though sometimes when I would like sing really loud, I would see uh, Santosh kind of like twitch a little bit. And I was like, can he hear me from through the TV? I'm not really sure what's going on. So uh, I don't know if God was telling me, hey, okay, that's too much, right? You know, you got to gotta bring it down. Um, and then, you know, because I, I like to tell tall tales, right? I was like, okay. So then I was sitting there watching the sermon. And, and this never really happens. But uh, this one sermon, uh, Pastor James was going a little bit longer, you know, than he normally does. But I really had to go to the bathroom, right? And so I was like, what do I do? You know, and then I was like, I'm just going to go to the bathroom, right? And so I was just on the couch, beat on the couch. So it was, um, you know, just kidding, right? And uh, <laughs> I just, I couldn't miss it. And then later, you know, Tracy comes home and he goes, well, you know, it's a recording. You can pause it, right? I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, next time, right? You know, so now we have a new couch, right? No, I made all that up. I'm just, just trying to be silly with you. Um, but, yeah, for our friends who watch online, hopefully, hopefully you don't do all those things I said. But, um, but clapping offbeat and singing off key, I think it's totally normal to do it there. In the church, I don't know. We gotta gotta check with Henry. He's the one that knows all the rules there. Um, okay, so we're gonna get into the book of Zechariah, and you know, as you know, we're gonna go through uh, a couple chapters a week. Now, there's 14 chapters, so a logical math guy would divide them in two, right? And so, I think it's gonna work, but we'll see, right? Um, so we're gonna get through some material today, but I do want to set the stage a little bit. Um, you know, uh, you know, who is Zechariah? What is this book all about? And so, this is part of the Old Testament, and what I love, too, is, you know, as you study, uh, you hear some new things. And one of the things I was looking at, one of the study guides, they said, you know, Old Testament is actually, I mean, it's, it's okay to use it, right? Um, but um, some people would say it's the first testament. And so, you know, in some ways, it, we, we may just want to be careful about how we say things because it's almost, you know, if I don't think we say that in a derogatory way, right? But it could be heard that way. And so the New Testament would be the second testament, that kind of thing. <clears throat> but with uh, when it comes to the to the, uh, the Old Testament, towards the end, we have the prophets, right? And so there's five major prophets, or at least five major books, and then you have 12 minor prophets. 
And so this is where Zechariah fits in. And really, just from a very simple high level, when it comes to the two types, the major prophets tend to they, they tend to be lengthier, right? They're just longer. Um, now Zechariah or Zechariah, excuse me, um, kind of doesn't fit that mold. He's one of the longer minor prophets. So he's got quite a long book. And as an example, one of his contemporaries is Haggai. And I think there's like two chapters. So it's a really short book compared to what we see in Zechariah. And um, in terms of the uh, just the overall structure of the book, we're going to go through this a little bit, but you can kind of think of it as three sections. And we're going to start in the first section, which is the visions. And there's eight of those that we're going to go through. And then there's kind of a, an interlude in the middle where it's about correction and teaching, about fasting and things like that. And then towards the end, um, 9 through 14, it's much more um, you know, messianic prophecy. And so this is where you'll see things like, uh, your king will come lowly on a donkey, you know, which is um, a direct representation of when Jesus came in uh, on Palm Sunday. Right? That's kind of where those tie in together. So we'll gonna, we're going to get there, but we're going to start in the beginning. So I just, sometimes it's just helpful to see some of the breakdowns, the organization of the, of the book. Now, um, you know, Zechariah, we, we know a little bit about him, but... <clears throat> He's a priest and a prophet, and, uh, and I'm not going to share too much more about him, but uh, he does minister, again, at the time of Haggai. So that's another book if you want to read along, you know, kind of, it's a partner book. And then you're also going to see Zechariah mentioned in uh, Nehemiah and also Ezra, okay? Now, what's probably most important about all of that is what's happening um, with Israel at this time, right? That kind of, I think, might help set the stage a little bit of, you know, when this book was written, what was going on. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so uh, to kind of give a very glossed over history of Israel, um, you know, if you remember, maybe even going back to Moses, right? God chose his, his people out of slavery, brought them out of Egypt. You know, they wandered in the desert for quite a while, and they eventually made it to the promised land. And as time goes on, um, there's a series of judges, right? And there's a book on that too. But at some point, the people say, uh, look, that nation has a king, that nation has a king, that nation has a king. What's different here? We're a nation. We don't have a king, right? The truth is they do have a king. It's God, right? God is their king, but they want a human king, right? So now you have the kingdoms coming in. You have King David. I'm excuse me, King Saul first. King David comes next, and King Solomon. It does get a little messy in there. Some people try to become king when they're not supposed to, right? <laughs> There's a little bit of all that kind of stuff. But essentially after King Solomon, uh, when his son comes into play, um, you, you really see a shift in the, the, the nation itself. And ten tribes go to the north, and that'll be called Israel, and two tribes are in the south, and that'll be Judah, right? And so from that point forward, you see kings in the north typically doing bad stuff, kings in the south generally doing better, right? That kind of thing. <clears throat> and then, you know, fast forward, um, you know, God continues to send prophets to them. This would be like prophets like Isaiah, prophets like Jeremiah, saying, hey, look, what you're doing, you're worshiping other gods, right? You're, you're going away from me. Uh, he gives plenty of warnings, clear warnings. Um, but over time, the people don't listen. And eventually, Israel's taken over. And so specifically, this is kind of, you know, I'm, I'm fast-forwarding through a whole bunch of details here. But um, there, uh, Babylon takes over um, Israel and Judah completely, right? And so uh, when Babylon does that, they take, they take people out, right? If you think about... Um, uh, is it Nebuchadnezzar, right, With in the book of Daniel? You'll see that kind of a, a policy, right, where they're bringing Israelites out. So they would call this um, Israel as an exile, right? They're, they're forced out of their um, motherland, if you will. And so uh, the reason all that is important, because this, this time and when Zechariah is prophesying is now 
um, Israel is starting to be able to go back. The, the people are able to come back from Babylon into Israel. And so this is when Zechariah is prophet, um, prophesying, is that the people are coming back home and reestablishing Israel, right, as a country and as a, as a place. And so <clears throat> with all of that said, that's kind of the, the backdrop, if you will. And, and we're going to talk about it here in just a second, but in the scripture, it's going to give us some very precise timing. And so that's very helpful, right, because then we know in history, when did this happen? Right, when were things going on? And so we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, so let's let's go ahead and get started into the into the first chapter. And the very first six verses is a section, and I want to park on that a little bit. So we'll read from verse one. It says, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of uh, Berechiah, if I'm saying that right, and the son of Edo. And what did he say in verse 2? The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Okay. And so he's, he's giving us some time frame there. And again, just for simple math, um, what, what's um, estimated here, this would be the year 520 BC. Okay. So this is, um, and it's in the month of October, November is, is when this time is. And the, and the way that's concluded is uh, King Darius was considered to reign from the year 522 uh, to a, you know, another period towards the end. So in the second year, you would just subtract two years from that, right? So that's how they get that. And now it says, the Lord was very angry with your father. So um, Zechariah is prophesying to the people who have come back into Israel and saying he was angry with them. And um, one thing I did want to mention, and I did ask this on Sunday, so you would know the answer if you were here on Sunday. So the name, uh, the name Zechariah means something. And I'm going to ask somebody else to answer that who didn't answer it. Does anybody know what Zechariah means? Any, any takers? God remembers. Yeah, exactly. Okay, very good. So I, I couldn't let Marty answer again, right? You can only get one answer. Um, and he'll probably tell you that again when he teaches too. So so this, the, you know, in the Bible, and it, you know, you'll see biblical names. The name means something, and that's, that's important, right? And so God remembers. So I just want us to be thinking, well, what is God remembering, right, as we're going through this book and these chapters? And obviously the very first thing, if I give you the answer, says the Lord was very angry with their fathers, right? And so the generation above them, he was angry with them. And why was he angry? Because he kept telling them, look, you're going the wrong way. You're worshiping, you know, you're being selfish, all this stuff. And they just wouldn't listen, right? And so eventually, God was able to restore them back. Now, um, in, so in verse, in verse 3, he has some more messages for him, And he says, therefore, say to them, thus declare the Lord of hosts, return to me. Can you guys all say that? Return to me, says the Lord of the host, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I love this picture because I just always see God as with open arms, waiting for us to come back, no matter what we've done, no matter how, how bad we've gone the wrong way. He's saying, look, all you have to do is return to me. It's not all those things that we think in our heads, right, that we have to go... Um, you know, pay back the thing that we stole, or we have to go help that person get healed, right? I mean, he wants us to do that, right? He wants us to, to restore and reconcile. But when it comes to him specifically, the door is wide open, right? He doesn't, he doesn't put blockers between us and him. And so, and, and I'm, I'm encouraged to, you know, think about the, the scripture from James in chapter 4, verse 7 to 10. And basically it says, if, if we draw near to God, what does God do? He draws near to us, right? And so that's just a wonderful promise that we have. And, you know, this concept of returning, uh, 
we're going to see down a little bit later that the people repent. And I know, um, I think if we've been around the church at all, you have a, a pretty good uh, feeling for what repent means. Um, but just a, a simple way to think of it is if you're going a certain way, and usually it's not the way that God wants you to, right? It's, it's going away from God. You literally do a U-turn, right? You, you kind of come back and, and, and come back towards God. And so these people needed to repent. And um, uh, one thing I, I wanted to also uh, try to put ourselves in the, in the shoes of the people, Right, that are coming back. They were in Babylonian captivity. Now they're coming back to where they used to live. They're coming back to their homeland. And um, you know, uh, and this has been many years, right? This is 70 years is what, uh, what we're told, is how long they've been in captivity. <coughs> and if you think about how things, um, how things were 70 years ago, you know, and then you come back and you check them, wouldn't you anticipate they would probably be different? And then what if it was completely neglected, right? What if you were the one that was maintaining that, like your property, your yard, or whatever, and you came back to it 70 years later, how do you think that's going to look, right? I, I mean, picture this church building, right? Um, what, would, what would it look like 70 years later when nobody was here taking care of it? And, um, you know, there was, I mean, it rains, right? This place uh, is not watertight, <laughs> right? You know, it, it's windy, Right, all kinds of things happen. I mean, for me, I almost think like Jumanji would happen in here, right? There would just be like vines and trees and you know all kinds of critters and lions. I don't know what would be in this place, right? But this is kind of what was going on with them too, right? They came home, or they came back to their church, and it was in shambles, right? It was in disarray, and so, so one thing is kind of excited to come come back home, but now you got to set up your own house, and you also have to set up the church too, right? You have to set up the temple. And so that's a lot of work, right? And if you think about it, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of energy. Probably costs some money, right? And then it's going to take some skill too, right? You got to rebuild stuff and hope it doesn't fall over, right? All this kind of stuff. And so they're in a they're in a kind of a tough spot. Like it's it's a homecoming, right? That's that's good, but it's also starting over too, right? So it's not like the best circumstance that they're having to deal with. And so you know, I I, I would guess that they're dealing with um, probably being fatigued, probably tired. They're probably frustrated. And then, you know, again, if you look in uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, they're getting a lot of pressure too. People don't want them to actually come back. <laughs> they don't want them to come and build the church either. So they're actually getting the government officials and everybody to say, hey, stop that. You know, you don't have permits. This isn't good, right? You know, all these kind of things. And so it's not just, it's not just easy when we follow God's commands, is it? Right? When he says, hey, go here, do that. It doesn't mean it's going to just happen, right? It's, it's, not, it's just going to take some effort. And so I'm, I'm guessing that they were hopeless. They were probably feeling like, hey, God, where are you, right? We're, we're being obedient to you. We're coming back. We thank you that we can come back. But this is still a lot of work. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they were just relying on their own power. They were, you know, they were turning away from God. And maybe they were um, being selfish. Because at some point, like, this is just too hard, right? It's just easier if I just take care of myself take care of my business, and then if I have time, I'll come take care of the church, right? And, and Haggai kind of gets after him for doing those kind of things. Like, hey, your houses look really nice, uh, but the church is not in a good shape, right? You know, he, he talks about those kind of things. And, you know, again, just touching back a little bit on God saying, uh, return to me, and I will return to you. I just, I just love that picture of his unconditional love. If it's nothing that we have to do, we just have to acknowledge him. We have to come back to him. Okay, let's continue on in verse 4. 
And he's, he's again, uh, encouraging them. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets have cried out. Thus um, says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. So it's not only return to me, but it's also the way that you're living, right? What you're doing. And again, this was the fathers and they did not hear and they didn't pay attention. And so, you know, in this section, God is calling them to live at a higher calling, right? He's calling him, he's calling them to, um, to not sin, right? To not go their own way. He's calling them back. And what I really uh, love about this, this is how Zechariah starts. He's saying, you, you need to return to me. We need to repent, right? We need to do business with the God. And so I think this is a key spiritual principle for us as Christians. And if we want to hear from God, we have to do, we have to do business with God first, right? And again, I'm saying he'll meet us right where we're at. But if we know there's unconfessed sin, we know there's stuff that we haven't shared with him, or maybe we're living in a way that doesn't honor him. Those are the things he wants us to deal with first. Because after this, he's going to give us a bunch of wonderful messages. And so I just want to encourage you, if there's stuff that you need to do business with, with God, um, now's the time, right? There's no need to wait. And again, I, I have been there many times, and I'm not perfect. I'm not sinless either, right? There's things I have to come to God, things I don't want to come to God with. But if we are faithful to do that, if we're willing to, to face those fears, we're willing to come to God and let him clean us up, um, spiritually, we're going to get a lot more blessings from that. We're going to be able to hear what God is saying to us because that sin is not going to be blocking us from hearing him clearly, right? Hearing him completely. And so when they, when they repent, they come closer to God. And when we repent, we come closer to God. And we're able to receive God's messages more fully. Now, we're going to get into some uh, visions now. And tonight, we're going to talk about three visions. And what I love about visions is their pictures, right? And so each one of us gets to put a picture in our own heads, right? I'm not going to put anything on the screen. <laughs> I'm going to let you use your imagination and say, what, is this, what does this look like, right? What was this vision that Zechariah experienced uh, through God? But what I want you to do is think about the lens, the history that we, we talked a little bit about. God is communicating to his people, and he's trying to do a couple things. But what I want you to catch is he's trying to encourage them because, again, they're probably exhausted, oppressed, and they have a great work, right? And it's not easy. And he really does want them to finish the temple, right? It's, um, their spiritual uh, walk is very important. Their spiritual community is very important. And they want that, he wants that to be prioritized. So this first vision um, is entitled The Horseman. You might have different um, you know, subtitles sub, uh, on there. And we're going to go through a couple verses. Now, uh, the first verse, um, verse 7, I'm not going to read that, but I just want to give you a date. You know, the, the previous uh, date we saw was in, in verse 1, and this one is roughly about three months later. And scholars um, will put that as February 15th, 519 B.C., and I didn't realize that, but we're almost on the same date, aren't we? We're just a, a week behind them, <laughs> right? Next week will be the 15th. Okay, so I don't know what's going to happen next week, but this is when he saw the vision. And all of these visions apparently happen on the same night, right? But we're only going to go through three of them tonight. Okay, so the, we're going to start in verse 8. And this is Zechariah saying, I saw in the night, and, be, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. So just picture that in your mind, a man riding on... A red horse, and he was a stand. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. And so, hopefully, you get a picture in your mind of what this scene looks like, right? And this is what 
um, Zechariah is describing to us. Now, when you see something like that, who knows what that means? I mean, we're going to talk about it, but who knows what that means by just that picture? Okay, and I was hoping nobody would raise their hand because I, I mean, actually, it would be kind of cool because maybe you're an angel. Maybe, you know, God's spoken to you about something. But, um, but I have no idea what it is. Oh, sorry, Henry knows. Okay. Henry, would you like to share with us? And you cannot read the Bible. Okay. All right. <clears throat> okay, but, here, but here's the thing. You know, we just, we want to remember God will speak to us through visions, right? We may want God to speak to us in certain ways, but we just got to be aware God's going to speak in the way that he wants to speak to us. So I want you to be aware of that. I want you to be open to that. I want you to be creative with how God, um, uh, you know, how he speaks to you. So my question for you is, let's just say you were Zechariah and you saw this vision. You know, how would you respond? Right. You know, what would you do? And, you know, again, if it was me and I had a big meal the night before, I might blame it on the big meal. Right. Because my. When my stomach's digesting, my mind is going crazy, and I'm seeing all these things, right? But we have no idea if he ate a burrito or not, right? But we, we do know that he had these visions. But what we want to do is we want to ask God, what does this mean, right? And we're going to see Zechariah do this many, many times. And again, I'm not going to read all the scriptures to you, but he, he, he does say, what are these, my Lord? And, and, and it says that he's talking to an angel. So this is a pretty cool thing, right? I didn't know how many angel conversations we got going on here, but there's, there's quite a few in verse 9. And, and then uh, the angel responds, and he says that they've come to patrol, uh, excuse me, the earth, and they were sent by the Lord. And so hopefully you're getting a picture here that these aren't just any people, it isn't just any man, right? It isn't just any horses, but these are basically representatives of God's army, right? This is his this is his doing, right? This is his coordination that we have these. And, um, you know, one scripture I really love, and, and there's a worship song that is kind of based on that called, um, uh, and I think it's called This Is How We Worship, but I forget now. <laughs> I, maybe I'll have to, uh, I'll get that later. But in Second Kings um, chapter 6, verse 17, there's a verse where uh, the Israelites, they're really in a bad spot. But Elisha, he's one of the prophets, he knows that God is already at work. And he has a servant with him. And he's, he just asks God, he says, God, will you open the eyes of my servant? And so when he does that, you know, he, he just sees the enemy all around him, right? And then he realizes, oh, okay, so God shows him. And God's armies are all over the hills, right? Just ready to do battle. God's already there doing things. And so I just, I connect those together. You know, I'm not sure if you're supposed to, but I just, I just love that theme, that God is in the midst. There's so much more going on than we see through our natural eyes, right? And so it's just uh, it's just such an awesome thing to know. God is on the move, and he is doing something. And I'll just tell you personally, this is one thing I completely forget a lot, is that the battle is not physical, right? The battle is spiritual, right? God has already won the victory, but every time I try to fight the battle in the natural, um, I come up short, you know? And, you know, for those of you guys who were here last Sunday, I think Pastor James spoke on this, um, you know, with a lot of uh, a lot of good power. And so if you didn't hear the sermon last Sunday, I would encourage you to, to listen to it and to watch it um, because he was talking about spiritual battles quite a bit and battling with the Holy Spirit, not on our own power. And so in verse 12, um, continue on, it says, And then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you've been angry for those 70 years? And in verse 13, and the Lord answered, gracious 
and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. Now, we talked a little bit already about the 70 years. So do you guys recall that 70-year time, time frame was the time when um, Israel would be exiled out, right, into Babylon captivity. And this angel is asking, how long will you, not have, will you have no mercy on Jerusalem? And so, you know, some of the commentaries I was reading was saying, um, remember, we're talking about this book prophesying about the Messiah, that this may be one of the first ones where it's already talking about Jesus here. Right? And I'll let you study that a little bit more. But I, I really like that the angel asked this question, right? Because it's been, it's been enough time is really what's being asked here. And it's not just a sugar-coated question. <clears throat> it's like the time is up. It needs to be uh, handled. And then, of course, how does the Lord answer? Um, with gracious and comforting words, right? And I don't know, you know about you, but when, you know, when you're in a tough spot and you need to uh, just depend on God, or you need scriptures that you hang on to. Um, for me, those scriptures are usually very uh, gracious, and they're very comforting, right? And I don't know, I, you know, I could just pick a couple off the top of my head. When I get worried so much about something, uh, Philippians 4, 6 just always pops in my head, right? And to paraphrase, it says, worry about nothing, right? And then pray about everything, with thanksgiving and supplication, right? And make your request known to God and so that he will give you your he will give you the peace, right? That he has that is beyond our understanding. And um, you know, there's just so many scriptures, there's so much that God does. His words are gracious and they're comforting. And so I love I love that that's also captured here in this verse. And then here's, um, this may be one of the, the key verses in the, in the whole book. In verse 14, it says, The angel who talked with me said, he said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. And so what is he saying here? He said, these are my chosen people. And not only am I jealous, I'm exceedingly jealous. Like, if anything is going on with them that's bad or good. I'm, I'm in the know, right? I, I care. And when it comes to jealousy, it's like, I, I don't want their attention to go somewhere else, right? I, I want, you know, our, their attention should be with me. It should be healthy. It shouldn't be, they only come to me when they need me, right? It should be a very loving relationship, right? It should be a very genuine relationship. And so he's exceedingly jealous and, and he's confirming his, his love for them and that he's, he's chosen them. And just to, again, uh, kind of abbreviate a little bit. And it, it talks about the other nations too in verse 15 and that God will use the other nations to help guide the Israelites. But sometimes even the, the other nations will do things wrong, right? And so God is getting angry about that. And so in verse 16, he says, therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy and my house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts. And the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. And in 17, cry out again, thus says the Lord, my city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion, and again choose Jerusalem. So he's really affirming, despite all that's happened, despite the exile, despite coming back, God still loves his people dearly. He still chooses them. They are still his, his chosen people. And so in summary of that, um, I, I hope in this vision, you know, you got a picture in your mind of this of this man and this horse and these horses, <clears throat> and that this is God's angels' armies, right? This is this is God's forces 
uh, for good. And that his words bring comfort and peace and grace. And as we spoke just a little bit earlier, if you find yourself much like the Israelites did coming back, where they were probably tired, they were hopeless, right? They, they were struggling. Well, the solution to that is to repent, is to return to God, is to confess our sins and to believe in his comforting words. Now we have two more visions. Uh, the second one is a shorter one. It's called the horns and the craftsmen. Okay? And so this, this kind of symbolizes God judging the nations who went after um, Israel, right? And did it in, a, in, a, in an evil way, if you will. And I'm not going to read really any of the verses. I just want to paraphrase it for you. But there's four horns. So um, I think what you want to think of is you don't want to think of a horn like a trumpet, right? <laughs> you want to think of a horn like you might see on a, on a rhino, right? On an on a animal. Something that is sharp and pointy. Something that could do damage, right? It's, it's a symbol of power. Um, and typically it could be a ruler. And in some of this, the studies, those, those four horns could essentially be four countries, Right, and so some that are, um, you know, identified would be countries that have gone against Israel. Right, would be Assyria, would be Babylon, would be Persia, would be Greece. Right, these these could actually be representations of those. And again, I'm not saying you have to agree with that, but um, but I think for me it just helps me to understand a little bit because it is an abstract vision. <laughs> right, it's um, and it, we do get a little bit more more definition. But so these four horns, um, they're the ones that have. Uh, wreaked havoc on Israel. And so again, when he sees these uh, visions, what does he do? He, he doesn't know what they mean, right? So he asks God, he asks the angel, well, what does this mean? And it says the horse, the, these horns are the ones that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And then he saw four craftsmen. And he said, what are they doing? And he said, the, the craftsmen have come to cast down those horns. And it says, of the nations who lifted their horn against Judah. And so the, the, the picture of the understanding I want to leave you with is, you know, the people that had attacked, the nations that had attacked Israel and overdid it, God had come back, paid them back, right? He, had, uh, he didn't let them be as if they were doing everything right. And so God is, he's, he's pronouncing judgment on the nations. And so I hope, I hope you, can, you can see that God has a plan in all of that's going on, right? And so, again, that's just a brief uh, summary of that second vision. And then we have uh, just the last one was called uh, A Man with a Measuring Line. And this will go through chapter 2, and that will conclude what we, uh, we cover today. So he sees a man with a measuring line, and again, he asks, where are you going? And at this time, we get two angels that are talking, and I'm going to jump down to verse 4. And it says, and he said to him, run and say to the, that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls. And why? Because the multitude of people and livestock in it. And so another way to say that is Jerusalem is going to have so many people, walls really cannot contain it. It's going to be so, there's going to be so much people. And in verse 5, and it says, I, God, will be to her a wall of fire all around. Now, if you can picture that, a wall of fire around a whole city. And that wall of fire represents God, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. And so essentially, God's saying, um, Jerusalem is going to be so big, so populated, um, God himself will be the wall. So they won't even have to defend their city. God's going to defend it, right? He's going to be in their presence, in their midst. And so it, I just think it's a wonderful, beautiful picture uh, that's, that's going on there.
And again, just uh, in sake of time, I want to go a little bit quicker. In verse 8, it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, After his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. And this is also another picture of Jesus the Messiah. He says, The nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. And so I want you to, you know, that's a very endearing statement, right? God's chosen people, anybody who goes against them, that's, that's like almost his favorite, right? I mean, that's his chosen people. And I want, I want to be clear, right? He's talking about Israel here, right? Now, I think, I think he sees us the same way, but I just in context, we're talking about Israel. And he says, anybody who goes against the Israelites, who touches the apple of his eye, um, he's going to go after. And so he does, he does say that in verse 9. He says, behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who served him. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. And in verse 10, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I have come, and I dwell in your midst. So just a, a quick pause on that. Now, when we, we talked about Israel, right? We talked about God's chosen people. And I just want to encourage you, um, Israel is still God's chosen people. It is still a blessing um, for those who bless Israel will be blessed. For those who curse Israel will be cursed. And again, you don't have to believe me. You can read the scripture yourself. <laughs> I'm just trying to help you not be cursed, right? Just depending on what you hear, or what, you, what you read, or what you think, and those kind of things. But just know that God's chosen people are under his blessing, right? They are protected. And so we have the privilege to bless them. We have the privilege to, play for them, to pray for them, excuse me, uh, for Jerusalem. And so, and, and I, I know you guys know this, but Jesus, the Messiah himself, right, was from Israel, right? He was Jewish. And so there's just a, a, a great value um, that God puts on them. And so I don't want to um, miss, you know, misstate that, but I do want to, if I can, overstate it, that that's something that we want to be aware of. We don't want to be ignorant of. And as, as we had read here in verse, verse 10, it says, and, and I come and I will dwell in your midst. And again, this is another one of those verses where it talks about the coming Messiah, you know, Jesus being in our presence. And so I love that. And, and verse 11, it says, And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and they, sh they shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Now when it says, and many nations, it's not just talking about Israel, right? God's chosen people, if you remember, he called them to be a light to the world so that even the Gentiles would be saved. And I'm just so thankful because that's the category I fit into, <laughs> is the Gentile category. So thank you, Israel, for being a light to the world, right, and for, um, for keeping the scriptures intact and, and, you know, communicating God's love to us. And again, for, for God for sending the Messiah. And this, this is the heart of God is that everyone would be saved, right? Now, I'm not speaking about universalism here, right, that everyone gets saved no matter what. I'm just saying the Messiah did what was necessary to save everyone. But we have to, as a choice, choose that, right? And we get the privilege to help other people understand that, understand the choice that they get to make, to be with God and, and receive his sacrifice or to reject God and do things their own way, right? And so we have that privilege uh, to share the gospel with people. And so I just want to encourage you, um, that's one of the blessings that we have. And in verse 12, and it says, the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Now, what I want to leave you with with this last vision, and it's called the man with the measuring line, is that 
Jerusalem is pictured as so prosperous that even there's, you know, we wouldn't even want to contain it with a wall because there's so many people. It's so prosperous. And what's even more beautiful is that God is a wall of fire around that city, right? And he's promising to be uh, in their midst with them. And so he has good plans and, uh, and, and they will happen. So in summary, I just want to, again, just review a little bit of the chapter very quickly. So where did we start with? We started with God saying, repent and come back to me, right? And so I just want to encourage each one of us that we always want to come back to God and repent. And then we saw three visions, right, that Zechariah shared with us. The vision of the horseman, the vision of the horns, and the vision of the, of the man with the measuring line. So at this time, I just want to conclude the message. Uh, what I want to do is uh, let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll, go, we'll read uh, some of the questions, and we'll break into small groups uh, for those of you who can hang around with us. Okay. So let me close this in prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this, um, this study. Lord, I pray that it would awaken us on the inside as we, as we sang, just to, uh, to all the things that you were doing, especially at this time that you are a God who is in control, that you have plans, and that no matter what happened with the Israelites, you're always drawing them back to you. And Lord, you're doing the same thing with each one of us. No matter what's going on, no matter how far we go away, you're always drawing us back to you. And thank you, Lord, that you have angel armies out and about fighting battles we didn't even know we need, that needed to be fought. Um, Lord, for your claiming the victory, so thank you for all of the stuff that's going on beyond our comprehension, beyond our vision. Um, and Lord, thank you for uh, executing justice. Thank you for being a just God. And, and Lord, as, as we just concluded with the, the measuring line vision of how the future Jerusalem is even going to be even more beautiful. And Lord, I know uh, you have certain things that are just for Israel, but you also have things uh, for, for us Gentiles too. And Lord, we do long for that, the new heavens and the new earth and uh, the new garden, if you will. Uh, but ultimately, Lord, it's, it's to be with you in your presence. Um, Lord, just to see you in your, your full and entire glory. So Lord, we thank you for this study. I ask that we would just continue to be students of your word, uh, to, to really just continue to make you a priority. So Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, um, so let me uh, read the questions first, and then we'll break into small groups, and then we can uh, wrap up our uh, online service. Um, Henry, do you mind putting those up uh, for me, the questions? So the very first question is, um, Zachariah means... God remembers, okay, good. <laughs> I forgot, you, you remembered, okay, good. And uh, what, what is God remembering, in your opinion, right, in chapters one and two? And then the second question is in what ways is God calling you to return to him? So this is more of a personal reflection. And then also number three, if we, get, if we have enough time, depending on how chatty we are, uh, which vision is most significant to you and why of those three that we talked about? Okay, so at this time, if you're able to hang out with us, we'd love to. We're gonna have we're gonna break into small groups. Um, ideally, it would be like groups of four or five, but sometimes you know you guys break the rules and make bigger or small groups. It's fine, but um, but the whole point is to fellowship and really, um, if you're someone who just came and you really need prayer, um, we'll go right to that. Right, that's what's most important is what you came for tonight. So um, I'm so excited about what we're gonna do for the rest of the series, and I look forward to chatting with you in our small groups.